Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to continue this evening, but I'm not going to move away actually from uh, the second, second silent prayer that is done uh, for Vespers. Uh, but I wanted to highlight and draw out and try to actually synthesize a few things together. Uh, with the commemoration of the Holy Apostle Luke, uh, with demons and angels, and the Bible study that we've been having Wednesday night. So pray for me, I'm going to try to do all of this. <laughs> so at the, the end of the second prayer, the silent prayer that the priest does at Vespers, uh, he does the doxology after the, the end of a prayer. It's very typical. You see this in your morning and evening prayers. Uh, a doxology. What do I mean by doxology? I don't mean the great doxology, but whenever you say glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're giving a doxology. You're lifting up glory. The end of the second prayer, silent prayer, says, For thine is the might, and thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. The kingdom is one of the great themes of Scripture. Uh, it is especially a theme of the Holy Apostle Luke who is the author, of course, of the Gospel according to St. Luke, but also of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. The kingdom for Luke uh, fleshes itself out in very particular ways. We see this with the ministry of Jesus Christ, the focus that Luke has on the ministry of Jesus Christ that starts at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke when Christ comes into the synagogue reading from the scroll from Isaiah about this is the day of the Lord and the Spirit is upon me to preach uh, freedom to the captives, etc. You have a declaration of the beginning of the kingdom and the ministry of Jesus Christ. When we get to the book of Acts, uh, which is something that we've been slowly working through on Wednesday nights, uh, there's record I will always plug there's recordings of this, there's a podcast version also a direct mp3, or you can even watch the videos if you really want, and the recordings of a few of us uh, talking to each other, you can see our reactions and faces if you really want to do that. Um, but as we've been tracing through the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts is very much an echo of the themes of the Gospel of Luke. Go figure, it's the same author, he's interested in the same things. And so when we get to, for example, Pentecost, and the focus of uh, what the beginning of our Lord's ministry, that he's come to preach captivity uh, to the captives, a freedom to the captives, uh, a jubilee, a reversing of the debts. When we get to the book of Acts, what is one of the ways in which uh, the apostles act? They put their money together and they help each other out. There is a specific economic theme throughout the book of Acts. How do we relate to money? How do we relate... Then to also the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be present upon and in the kingdom of God? For life in the kingdom is different. Uh, it is as the book of Acts, and you see this early on with the different uh, icons of the early church, with Peter, with the archdeacon uh, Stephen. Uh, then when Paul comes into the picture, all of their ministries very much echo the ministry of Jesus Christ. What is that? That is, they go and they preach the kingdom. Some listen to them. Some have ears to hear. Some have hearts that are open or eyes to see what is manifest before them. And others, not so much. Others, especially as you see uh, throughout Acts, is a repetition of the end of the Gospels. 
where there's not only rejection of the Messiah, there's also a turning, a betrayal, uh, a seeking after his blood. You see this throughout the book of Acts. This then, of course, continues throughout the life of the early church with all of the martyrs that we have, especially starting with the proto-martyr, the arch-martyr uh, of Stephen. I want us to talk just for a minute about uh, a very interesting episode that we encountered in our Bible study this past week. And that is where Paul is in his last missionary journey, like uh, as accounted, recounted to us in the book of Acts. Uh, he is in Ephesus. He's been there for a while. And word has gotten around that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. There are seven itinerant Jewish exorcists. I'll repeat that. There were seven itinerant Jewish exorcists, the sons of Sceva, who were going around. There were Jewish exorcists. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, they would go around and exorcise demons, as in they would cast demons out. And the Jewish exorcists would especially, we know this from um, literature that would be outside of what you would typically, I'll, I'll just call it kind of a Protestant Bible, uh, but a broader base of literature that exists that the early church would have read and understood that we see reflected, for example, in the reading that we had uh, from Jude, uh, that they would call upon angels to, uh, to cast out these demons. So these Jewish exorcists would go around and say, Archangel Michael, Archangel Uriel, Archangel Raphael, um, we cast in the name of this angel, cast this demon out. They've heard that there's something, maybe their prayers weren't working the same way, but they heard that Paul was using the name of Jesus. This is very, throughout the book of Acts, you call on the name of the Lord, and there are great things that follow. Healings, just a few verses before this account, uh, handkerchiefs that touch Paul's body have healing abilities because they've come close to an apostle of the Lord. So these seven itinerant Jewish exorcists, brothers, there's a band of seven of them going around, they decide that they're going to try the new thing. And they go into this house of this possessed man and they invoke the name of Jesus Christ to exercise this demon, to cast it out. The man looks at these seven brothers, and the demon speaks and says, I know Jesus. I know Paul. I don't know any of you. And the text tells us, with uh, quite a few verbs, that he then uh, assaulted them and kicked them all out of his house, where they left naked and wounded. So one man took on seven brothers, seven itinerant Jewish exorcists, and kicked them out of his house. There's a few things I think that we can learn from this account. If you're going to call upon the name of the Lord, you need to do it in such a way that you are living the life of the kingdom. It is very common for us to want to, and you can see it in the religious world around us, uh, a fascination with either darkness or with angels or etc., but also a kind of presumption that they are equipped uh, with 
you know, just a little bit of knowledge about who Jesus is, that they're going to take on the forces of darkness. Or you have the other hand, and this always happens in the movies, right? Something bad is happening and somebody wants to reform their life. They haven't been to church in a very long time, and now they're on their hands and knees, they're saying to our Father, trying to, and they're making a vow that they will, they're going to change their life around, that just you would intervene, God. Kind of Jesus' talisman, right? Something that we need, like a lucky rabbit foot. The demons, the demon that was in this man, knows who Jesus Christ is. He also know, knew who Paul was. He didn't know who these exorcists were. There is uh, significant forces that are at play around us as we read especially uh, in the Epistle of Jude, that are active, are present. Maybe they're a little more hidden in certain ways because uh, of our society that's kind of, uh, well, let's just be honest, very materialistic. Uh, we have our reasonings for how these things happen that we can attribute all over the place. And then when there's gaps in that knowledge, we just kind of cover it in silence. But we need to be careful, and it's a, a sign for us to make sure that our lives and the ways in which we invoke Jesus Christ, that our lives line up with the values of the kingdom. Paul was living in such a way that he was being thrown out of the towns because he would vigorously argue for who Jesus Christ was. His life was in conformity to the king. And so the kingdom literally came off of or out of Paul's body such that handkerchiefs had healing within them. To call upon the name of the Lord can be empty if our lives are not actually in sync with our Lord. I also think it underlines for us that we need to make sure that we're attached to the actual apostolic church and apostolic teachings. Because the demon says, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is. I don't know who you are. Jesus Christ is not a talisman. He is not uh, a secret word. He is not uh, magic. And this is another theme that runs throughout the book of Acts. It's this desire for for humans, Simon Magus, right? He sees the power of the laying on of the hands of the apostles and the Holy Spirit and what comes from that. And he says, how do I get that? Because I got money. And Peter looks at him and says, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. This theme continuously runs. Ananias and Sapphira, we're going to sell uh, this property, but we're going to keep money back for ourselves and not give it in complete freedom to, in Christ, in the love of Christ, to the church and those in need. What happens? They're struck down. They die. The spiritual life is serious. The seven sons of Sceva, the itinerant Jewish exorcists, who were doing the best they possibly could, still did not have the fullness of the kingdom. And so they were beaten, literally, by the demons. Life in the spirit, which is another way of saying life in the kingdom, 
is a life that is open to constantly following after the will of God, seeking after and giving glory to the kingdom that has been revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the king of that kingdom. And life in the Spirit, as we see especially in the book of Acts with Paul, it means being open to going this way. There's times where he said, am I supposed to go this way? And the Holy Spirit says, nope, you're supposed to go this way. When he wants to go in, right after this episode, all of the Demetrius, the silversmith in the city, he says, these guys are going to destroy our trade. They're, they're not going to make any more silver idols if they actually follow this God, Jesus Christ. So they get this huge crowd together. They go into the local uh, you know, coliseum, as it were, a gathering place. We still call them coliseums, I guess, in some ways, if it's a sporting event. <laughs> um, and they're, they're chanting, it's funny, because it reminds me of certain modern chants, but they're saying, uh, Artemis is a good god, or the great god is Artemis, great god, and they do it for two hours. <laughs> this mob, frenzied mob, for the sake of this god, false god, more, like, more than likely a demon. And our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, Paul, he, in wanting to preach the gospel, sees this as an opportunity, and the Holy Spirit restrains him. So the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit sometimes put us, us in particularly, say, tight and dangerous spots. But also is the freedom of the kingdom, freedom for the captives, a life of sacrifice, but of great blessing, a life that ends in eternal life and resurrection such that the kingdom even flows from the body of those who live into the fullness of that kingdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.